Welcome to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a sports ethos production. I am your host, Candace Hagens, and as always, it's a pleasure and a privilege to talk Hawks with you. So you guys have to excuse me this week. I've sort of been under the weather. My voice sounds a lot better than it used to. That That's why it's such a delay in our podcast recording this week. But I feel a lot better. I think I sound a lot better. If we, I can get through this podcast recording without sounding like a frog at any point, I'll consider it an accomplishment. But anywho, I'm not sure if I'm the only one that misses football as much as I do. Um, it, it can't just be me, right? I would give anything to hear the NFL theme song music, the red zone music. I, I, I'm just, I'm sort of fiending here. I'm, I'm just missing watching football. Can't wait till training camp. The countdown is real. But in the meantime, I was reflecting and living off of the memories of last season. And as I began to reflect, I started thinking about players who I think need sort of a redemption in one way or another. And it led me to a two-part episode series that we're going to do called Redemption Row. And essentially, I want to talk about some players that sort of had a down year or did not quite meet expectations in one way or another that this team will absolutely need in order to be competitive for, for them to have a much better year. We're going to do this episode on offense and I have one on defense. So hopefully this ends up being a pretty fun episode and that you guys can interact with. I'd love to hear the players that you think should be on Redemption Row. So feel free to um, tweet out hashtag Redemption Row on Twitter. Tag us in it at Ethos Seahawks. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. But let's get into it and talk Hawks. Now, our first candidate on Redemption Row is going to be Rashad Penny. And I know you may be wondering, why Rashad Penny, right? He pretty much redeemed himself last season. He played a career-high six games. He had a stat line of 749 yards, which was also a career-high, on 111 touches. He had six touchdowns. He averaged 6.2 yards per carry. Candace, isn't that breakout enough? Isn't he, isn't he proven enough? And my answer would be no. I think last year was a breakout year for Rashad Penny, but he still only played six games in what is now a 17-week NFL football season. I think true redemption for Rashad Penny is the consistency of that talent over a series. In my mind, Rashad Penny, to really redeem himself, would need to play at least 12 games because, as any Seahawks fans know, Rashad Penny has been unreliable in every sense of the word, and nobody really expected him to do what he did in those last six games. I've said it before, but it was a historic pace, really phenomenal performance from him. Heck, he even had more yards than Tony Pollard. And so you may think that is strange for Rashad Penny to be on redemption row, but I don't think he makes it, if he did that again, I still don't think the Seahawks fans will be happy with that. Like if he replicated this exact same performance next year on a new contract, Seahawks fans 
you guys aren't going to really feel like he really earned it, right, in six games, even if he did break out. I think last year was going above and beyond everybody's expectations. But now that it's established that he can do that, that he can be a running back that made you at least think about taking being worth in the first, worth in the first round. I know a lot of people would argue that it's never worth taking a running back in the first round, but if he was going to play at 6.2 yards a carry every game for four years, that was going to be worth, worth the first round pick bottom line. But since that was the only sample that we got, and it was a small sample size, I just think that it's going to take more this next year, which I Penny just can't do what he did last year and be considered redeeming himself. It's not enough. It's been too many years of him not being available. The facts are this. Rashad Penny barely passed 749 yards in three years of play combined. He didn't even come close in touchdowns combined. And given that he was a first-round pick, he had been probably one of the biggest busts in recent Seattle history, to say the least. Some would argue that he has been the biggest bust, but I think that would hands down have just been Malik McDowell. But he, Rashad Penny had really put himself in pretty bad company in terms of that. So this was a career year and he did it in really only six games even then. So not only to me does he need to prove that he was even close to worth that first round status. I think he needs to prove it to the league, not just the Seahawks or the Seahawks fan base. If he wants a career past this season, he can't be hurt again for the majority of the year. If that happens, I think there's only only going to be one other team that might take a flyer on him. Because the shelf of a running back is probably the shortest of any position in the NFL to begin with. And if you are going to have a longer shelf life, typically it's important that you be a dual threat running back, being able to affect the passing game as well as the run. And that's not Rashad Penny's game. He's only got 206 receiving yards. That's not his game. So he's going to have to prove that he can be that explosive offensively, purely through run, that he can be a home run hitter that we saw in the final six games of play. So what would a redemption stat line look like for Rashad Penny? What statistical line could we say it was worth that extra contract on Rashad Penny? He was truly able to bring value to this team. A couple of things. I I touched on it before. I think it's important that he play about 12 games, at least 10. I don't think he can play less than 10 games and it be worth it. But I feel like 12 is much more along the lines of what you like to see for Rashad Penny. I think it's understandable that for the running back position, that they're not going to be able to play all all 17 games. I think that's understandable. I think we we need to give room for a minor tweak here or there, something that take, you know, maybe a couple weeks and he can come back. 
I also feel like timing is very important for Rashad Penny on those injuries. It's important that he finishes out the season. I don't believe that Rashad Penny can play even the first 15 games and then end on injury and the the team and the NFL for that matter feel good about bringing him back or the fans feel like he really redeemed himself. And I know that because of what happened with Chris Carson. Chris Carson actually didn't miss that many games. He's known as being injury prone, but one of the biggest problems with Chris Carson, particularly in the year 2019, has been when Chris Carson got injured. Chris Carson would oftentimes get injured right before a playoff run or right in the middle of a late playoff push when they're trying to get the get seating in place and then he'll go down and it really hurts the team. He actually played over 75% of the games for three out of the five seasons that he played for this team. Only this past season and his rookie year did he play less than 75% of the games. So why is Chris Carson considered injury prone? Well, it's the timing of the injuries, as I said. And so he has that reputation of being injury prone. And he has had a lot of injuries over the years. Don't get me wrong, I'm not necessarily advocating for that but I'm saying that the biggest challenge with Chris Carson has been the timing of those injuries and how much it impacted the team that he really couldn't finish a season that he could he would always go into the offseason rehabbing an injury of some sort and I think that the same is with Rashad Penny the same will apply if he does not finish out the season healthy it will not really be considered a redemption or there'll be a damper put on any production he does because here we go again. The end of the year, Rashad Penny's injured and then he's got the rehab in the offseason for another year. And that's how the league will see it too. I don't think it'll be that much of a difference. So he really wants to, to show and to prove that he can be a productive running back in this league. Then this is it. It's redemption time for Rashad Penny. The next candidate is Gabe Jackson. And Gabe Jackson posted a PFF grade last year of 63.6. He allowed three sacks and four penalties, which on paper may not be that bad. But given the expectation that he had coming into the team, I did think that he would do better than that. Now, I do feel like Part of it is placement. I I really think that Gabe Jackson would be best at left tackle. He is much better at left tackle than he is at right tackle. In fact, Gabe Jackson actually ranked number 34 for all guards in pass protection, while Damian Lewis ranked 92nd. I'd say that's a pretty big difference. And I'll talk about this a little bit more later on in the show, but it it drives me a little crazy that this team continues to put players, or, or rather I say this, that this team does not optimize their players' talents. And I think they've talked about doing that more, and I do think they've gotten a little bit better at it over the years. But this is just another example of, I think Gabe Jackson could be great for you at the left guard spot. 
where he excels in pass protection. And Lewis excels in run protection. And But that's not going to happen based off of the, they're not going to switch them. Based off of the mini camp, they seem to still have Damian Lewis in at left guard and, and Gabe Jackson in at right guard. I've heard that the logic behind this is that Damian Lewis, after having a near Pro Bowl rookie year, asked that he could asked if he could work at left guard as that's what he wanted to to do. He wanted to prove that he could be a left guard in this league. But he hadn't proven it. I think one year is enough. I don't think that you need to keep giving him year after year to prove it when he played so poorly. It wasn't like he was average. Like I said, Jackson ranked 34. Lewis ranked 92nd. I asked pretty bad. It's just bad. So even if he got better, it's mediocre at best. Like that's his ceiling at left guard is mediocre at best. When he's at right guard, he could be a pro ball, a pro bowl guard for this team for years to come. It's something that frustrates me. And I don't know if anybody else feels that passionate about it. It seems like I'm sort of by myself in that. And maybe that's the case. I'm fine with it, but it frustrates me because this has been something that's been a pattern for the Seahawks over the years. Ethan Pokic, it was four years before he actually had to play his natural, I can't talk, his natural position at center when he excelled at center at LSU. Just because another player can play another position doesn't mean that they should then become an experiment. Let that player develop and master the skill set that's most natural to them as it's going to optimize the player and the team. But that's a conversation for another day. I'll go back to Gabe to Gabe Jackson. Either way, Gabe Jackson, I think, should have done better. I, I would have envisioned him to have a season that was more graded. Maybe a 70 would have been fine. And I'll say this with his three sacks that he did get, I know Russell Wilson plays plays a role in that to some extent. He didn't have any sacks. He didn't allow any sacks the year before, and this year he allowed three. It's not a huge drop-off, but it's not what you'd want to see. You brought him in so that he wouldn't allow sacks, or maybe one, right? That, that was sort of the hope and the goal when he was brought in here. And with the new quarterbacks at the helm, maybe that's something that you see more like. Maybe those sacks were more on Russ than than Gabe Jackson. But either way, I think the the organization and the fan base had higher expectations for Gabe Jackson. And I hope that he can excel and do better than he did this past season. I think for him, it won't take a lot for him to really redeem himself. I think it's simple. If he's going to stay at right guard, which it seems like that's that's what he's going to do. That's what the Seahawks have him at. If he can post a 70 PFF grade, allow one sack, and I need more than two penalties, I think that would be fine. It'd be ample. It wouldn't be great, but it'd be a start. So that's somebody who I'd love to see do better. This offensive line really needs to take a step forward. We've got rookies on the line potentially two rookies on your bookends of your of your line these guards are going to really have to step up and be a veteran presence for these guys they're going to have to lead by example for these guys and I think if they can do that this offensive line has a chance at being at least better than they were before the ceiling I think is way higher I think they have the ceiling to to be a 
top 15 offensive line. I'll be honest, though. I know I said I'd leave it alone, <laughs> but I think this offensive line, if, if Charles Cross and Abe Lucas really turned out to be who, who we think and hope that they are, and you put Damian Lewis back at the right guard spot and Gabe Jackson back at the left guard spot, I actually think this could be a top 10 offense, offensive line. That sounds maybe optimistic to some of you guys, but we have to remember how strong of a year Damian Lewis had. And we also have to remember that Gabe Jackson, his best years that he ever posted, where he posted in the 80s and it just had, he excelled in pass, rush, and in pass protection, those were years he played at left guard. That, that was when he played his best, when he was at left guard. So that's something that the Seahawks are going to hold themselves back from. But I think you get a pretty good to average offensive line. At the very least, if Gabe Jackson can sort of step it up and really be the veteran leader that this team needs for him this year. The surprise candidate would be DK Metcalf. And you might wonder, why does DK Metcalf need a redemption year? And I'm going to say this. First of all, DK is about to get, at least he should get, a contract upwards of $25 million per year. So there's going to be a lot of expectation on him regardless. And he finished under 1,000 yards last season. Now, I don't think that's particularly his fault. I do think that... Russ could have done a better job of targeting him for stretches of games. I think that was an apparent issue. And I even think he could have got those yards potentially in the last game. And they just ran the ball so much that it didn't give DK the opportunity to, to get his stats like he wanted. But where DK falls, and I and I think where he, where he fails to continually get better at that, I think he'll probably get the most criticism for is his catch radius because despite the fact that he did not have a thousand yard season, I don't think that's what people hold against him. It's the fact that his targets per yard decreased. I mean, his yards per target decreased by almost three. He went from averaging in 2020, 15.7 yards per reception. And last year it went down to 12.9. I mean, that's pretty bad. Some could say that's due to the Shane Waldron's new system, the new offensive system that's going on. Perhaps it is made for more intermediate targets, but I don't just think that's it. The biggest problem that DK Metcalf had last year was just his catches. I think he could have had more yards just by having better hands. Uh, DK had his worst catch percentage basically since his rookie year at 58%. And that's not that's not what you want. That's really not what you can afford. You can't have a catch radius of 58% or a catch percent of 58% and ex, you know expect to get paid like 25 plus million dollars with no criticism. I think it's going to be even more so important for him to improve his catch percentage. Because he's not going to have Russell Wilson anymore. He's going to have to help his quarterback. He's going to have to make the most out of the targets that he receives. That's going to be really important. The quarterbacks may not always be the most accurate. So when they are accurate, when it comes DK's way, 
given that he's going to get paid way more than them, there's going to be an expectation that he live up to that, that he steps up and sort of helps compensate. A good wide receiver can make the job of a quarterback easier. When you're getting paid that much money, that's what you're expected to do. I think if he did that, that his production could look a whole lot better across the board. I don't think it would have came down to how much they ran the ball in the last game for him to get that 1,000 yards season. I'm not even saying that he needs to have the season that he had in 2020 when he had over 1,300 yards. I'm not saying that DK Metcalf needs to do that, but I do think he needs to exceed over 1,000 yards, and I think he needs to get at least 65% of his catches. That's what you expect out of a star wide receiver. You're going to get paid like a top 10 wide receiver. You have to play like it. And I know that you might think I'm being hard on DK, and I think we should be. I think people are hard on Jamal Adams. He, it, because he gets paid, right? And so that's a given. So I think redemption from, from DK comes less in the yards, though he could afford to do better than that. It definitely didn't come in the touchdowns because he actually had 12 touchdowns. It's more than he has had at any point in his career. I think it's going to be more about how efficient are you as a pass catcher? How reliable are you for your quarterback? It's going to be... It's going to be huge, a huge storyline to watch um, as this team puts together a squad that they hope can be competitive, even in a tough division. Okay, and our last candidate is Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis, we know, went from being a borderline pro bowler in his rookie year to underwhelming in, in a lot of ways for his sophomore year. His PFF grade was a 57.1 compared to his rookie year when it was a 70.2. And while on the surface, it may be deceiving because he only allowed one sack despite allowing three sacks the year before. And he did have less penalties. I'll say that. So Damian Lewis did improve in certain ways, but... But really, he allowed a lot more pressure. So even though the the defensive lineman wasn't able to hit home per se, it was a significant drop-off in how many pressures he allowed. For example, for example, he went from averaging 34.5 snaps per pressure to 26.3 snaps per pressure. So basically, at an increased rate, he was allowing more pressures. It wasn't just pressure. He was also allowing hits, and that drop-off was significant. In his rookie year, he only allowed a hit every 483 snaps. This past year, he allowed a hit every 84 snaps. I mean, that's huge. That's a 400-snap difference, practically. And that's why his PFF grade dropped off so far. It was just underwhelming. He struggled to compete in a tough division with a lot of pass rushers. And I hope that he will see improvement. Damian Lewis, I I believe strongly in. His upside to me is tremendous. I've talked about this earlier, but at right guard, I think he's a pro bowler for, for years. I think he's got that in him. And it is my hope that 
this is the year that he can put up or shut up. In, in my mind, if I'm the Seattle Seahawks, if I'm the Seattle Seahawks, realistically, I don't even give him this year to get it under control or to get better. But even if the even if the thinking is, okay, give him this year to feel his way out, I wouldn't let him go past this without putting him back in his natural position. I understand the desire to want to be better in a certain area. You can practice that off the field in hopes of maybe being better on the field. But I'd rather a player do that than continue to play out of position, get the most out of the rookies while they're on their rookie contract. Damian Lewis was a no-brainer re-sign. He was a foundational piece to build this team around. But if they're going to keep him at left guard and he continues to play similarly like he did this past season, I think one of the needs becomes a left guard, simply put. It will still be a need because this is less than mediocre, the performance from Damian Lewis. I'd say he probably had the biggest drop-off. Out of all of the candidates that I've talked about today, Damian Lewis disappointed the most. I think people had concerns about him being a pass protector, knowing that that was a point of weakness for him in his rookie year. But I'm not sure that people thought it would be this much of a drop-off. And it was that. So I'm going to place him as the winner of, of uh, or, the, or the biggest person that who needs to make a redemption, who needs a bounce-back year. I'm not sure that his career depends on it the same way that it does Penny. But just in terms of the biggest drop-off and what it means for his long-term future in Seattle, I think that the t- the combined two makes him the clear person who needs the most redemption this next year, at least on offense. All right, so that concludes our redemption role list for offense. Like I said, go on Twitter and tweet with us, hashtag redemption role, at Ethos Seahawks. And let us know who your candidates are for Redemption Row. Who do you think needs to make the biggest jump in order for the Seahawks to have a competitive year? Looking forward to getting into our defensive candidates in our next episode. Until then, you can follow me, your host, on Twitter at CandiceH901. That's at CandiceH901. Make sure to follow the show on Ethos Seahawks. And be sure to share, comment, Leave a review. We'll read reviews on our podcast. We appreciate your support and your patience as you waited on this episode. I hope each and every one of you enjoyed your 4th of July weekend. But that's it. I'm out. And as always, go Hawks.